Hello friends, I am Michael Zuloff, and welcome to, eh, let's call it episode 4 of So Poetry. Um, as you may or may not have discovered, there are no episodes so far of my podcast for the month of October. Um, I originally was going to have two special on-location podcasts, but that ended up not panning out so well. Um, and in order to keep kind of momentum rolling, I kind of had to figure out what to do for October, and I'm very, very much cutting it close because this will being recorded on the night of the 30th and will hopefully be up the day of the 31st to keep with, you know, October episodes happening in October and then starting fresh with two interviews, um, in November. But anyway... I decided to kind of just do a recap of the travels that I did um, in the first two weeks of October um, and the kind of, so going out and doing that stuff, which I'll get to in a little bit, and then coming back to Baltimore and having a little bit of time to like reflect and distance both directions. Um, yeah. So this is kind of a backup plan. It was not a backup plan that I had planned before leaving. Uh, I didn't think that I wasn't going to get a chance to do my podcasts on location. But things happen. So, um, yeah. So for the first two weeks of October, I went on my very first uh, residency program. Sorry, the neighbors outside distracted me. Um, yeah, but I went on my first residency program uh, out to Art Farm in Nebraska, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, I I went out there with little expectations. Um, I generally try not to have expectations for stuff. I might get into doing another podcast much, much later and explain why, but generally I try to go into things... Um, as fresh and as, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, un unbiased to my own wants um, as I can because it helps me stay present and keeps me grounded. And Art Farm really, even if you had expectations, um, Art Farm kind of does away with those real quick. Um, it is, I, for those of you who don't know, um, which is probably a majority of the people who are listening to this right now, um, Art Farm is essentially just kind of a, a farm um, out in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska, which I'm sorry to say is kind of most of Nebraska. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Maybe not sorry to say. Um you get some distance out there, which is both really, um, it's, it helps. It can be kind of overwhelming, but for me, it, it helped. Um, anyway, so it's, it's a farm. Um, it's been in the guy who runs it, Ed Dady's family for, I don't know how long. I think he grew up out there. Um, and, um, 
it's officially been a residency program for 22, 23 years, maybe 22 years. Um, so you, you sign up for it. Um, I'm not sure what the selection process is, but um, you can stay there for kind of however long you can sustain yourself out there. Um, but it's really just like some farmhouses and maybe like an acre-ish of land, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little more than that. I don't know how big, like what an acre looks like. So if anybody knows for sure, forgive me. It's some acreage of land surrounded by farms on all sides where you just kind of go do art. Um, and for those who have never been on a, on out to a residency, they're essentially just like an art retreat. Um, there's nobody telling you what to do. There's nobody checking in on you. You kind of, at least for art farm, um, and I assume that most of the other actual residencies are like this too. That it's like you kind of, you figure out what you're going to do when you're out there and you just, you do it. There's no one holding you to anything. Um, you you have to be in charge of that for yourself, which can be kind of daunting um, when you're suddenly faced with that amount of freedom. Um, and the whole, I, I think the whole idea for residencies um, is just to give artists time to be somewhere and they can focus on their art and they don't have to deal with, you know, like paying bills or having a job or maybe even family. Um, things that eat into art making time so you really you know just set yourself out there for however long that you choose some residencies are a couple of weeks some of them are a couple months um, and you just you have time to kind of do what you need to do but you really have to be um, exacting with yourself because it's well I mean depending upon the type of personality that you have I think it's really really easy for um, for you to, to like with with that freedom and with like no deadlines or nobody on nobody no external forces keeping you to task on things it's easy to kind of just let things slide um i went out to art farm without a um a, a set project in mind um most of my poetry is very dependent upon um, location and space it's super influenced by the things that that surround me and the places that I find myself so for me it was kind of an experiment to see what being in a place that is vastly different than Baltimore would do to my writing because I've been in Baltimore for the better part of four years I guess and most of the poetry that I've been writing has been very and I don't know if it's Baltimore flavored or not, but um, it's definitely been influenced by the things that have been that are around me in Baltimore. Um, so it was really neat to have a chance to be someplace that's so very different and just see what that does to my writing. Um, I also I brought a bunch of books out there and read a very small <laughs> amount of them. Um, there were probably like five or six that I did not touch. And the ones that I did touch, I read maybe, I don't know, a total of 
grand total of maybe 30 or 40 pages. Um, which really, I think, like I, I was out there and writing without any direct voice or thematic influences. Because I'm still kind of in the space where if I read, you know, if I read a lot of Charles Wright or if I read a lot of Baydal, um, my poetry tends to start picking up some of those colors. Um, my my voice is still very prevalent in it, but I I look at things a little bit differently, or I focus on some things that I probably wouldn't have. And when I was in Nebraska, it was really just kind of my voice. Um, and I it's been a while since I've been in contact with kind of just my pure writing voice. That was, it was neat to see kind of what I write when I'm not influenced by anything other than just my surroundings. And, um, well, I mean, not necessarily voice wise influenced by the conversations that I had, but there was definitely like my poems were directly taken out of experiences that I had in Nebraska. Um, I went to karaoke one night with uh, my housemates um, and some of the other residents. And for, oh, I don't know, maybe like 20, 25 minutes, um, one of the guys at the bar who ended up, turns out his, his dad or his family owns the farm that's right north of Art Farm. Um, he's a beekeeper. And he talked to us, or talked to me and another resident for, like I said, like 20, 25 minutes about just keeping, be like beekeeping. Um, and one of the poems that I wrote was directly, came directly out of just listening to that conversation, which was neat. Um, it really kind of felt like, I felt more like a poet in Nebraska than I, than I typically do in Baltimore. Um. I have a list of things of things that I've noticed and things that I want to talk about, but this would probably be a good place to start. Um, when I was in Nebraska, I felt like I had more direct contact and direct experience with things. Like, I did more. Um, I was around a bunch of people that I didn't know, so um, I sat and talked with them for hours. And just their different, different of difference of perspective and difference of um, personality and just, it, you know, it was all new and it was all fresh. And there was a routine um, Monday through Thursday, you have to do like three hours of work a day around the farm, just kind of maintaining the grounds. Um, I spent some time digging foundation holes for a barn that was being moved, um, built some scaffolding, made a ladder, um, to put on to the top of a roof so we could put down tar paper. It's kind of just odd job stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, that was all kind of new experience too, but um, yeah, I was, I was just kind of doing things um, kind of just out and about everything. Like I said, everything was kind of fresh. Everything was new. And, um, Oh yes, yeah, so the routine. It's like there's the routine we just kind of got into, but again, it was it's it wasn't I wasn't there long enough. I was there for the first two weeks of October, um, so I wasn't there long enough for the routine to actually kind of seep in into that kind of that groove or that rut. It was um, 
I don't know. It's like those things that you those things that you do that that you figure out. Um, like if you're if you're away somewhere or if you're house sitting or something, those new kind of patterns of of things and um. But I was like, I was out. I was walking around, um, and actually drawing in and having experiences that I could turn into art. Um, so I felt like Ryan Abatley saying, like, I, the original point was that I felt like I was actually doing the work of a poet, or the work of an artist, just going out and experiencing and seeing things and hearing things and just being out in the world and available for stuff to happen to you that you can then turn into like art and something that's that you can share and that's that you can um craft into you know that has greater um or maybe more universal meaning um because in in baltimore i'm kind of sedentary um i work two jobs uh, so there are times that i get home like I'll be I'll be away from the apartment for the better part of like twelve hours or so, and I get home, it's like nine o'clock, and I have to wake up early the next day, and I really just don't want to do anything, and that's tough when you're at work, and then you go home, and there's not really a life that you live outside of that that can give you, um. I guess more direct access to those experiences because I've I've had st stuff that happened to me at work that's kind of made its way into a poem, um, but there's not a whole lot of um, just kind of idle thinking time at my jobs and I had a lot of that at Nebraska I'm mean, out in Nebraska and at Art Farm um, and not really like active just I'm not going to think about anything or just kind of daydream but just. I guess more space and more um, the vastness and the distance um, externally allowed it, I think, to happen internally. Um, and on the topic of habits, like the routines and stuff that I got into at Art Farm, um, it was sh short enough that they didn't become kind of the ruts and the routines like there's the beginning of them, and if I would have been out there for longer, then it may, this may have happened. Um, so I guess like they were routines, but they didn't become habits. Um, but being out there gave me some space to realize that there I have a lot of habits when I'm in Baltimore. Um, so I got the space to see and notice them, but not enough space to actually break them or develop new patterns and ways of doing things um now that i'm back in baltimore and it's been two weeks since i've been around about two weeks since i've got since i've since i've been back um i'm now aware of the these patterns and these habits um that i have and i'm currently trying to change them while still being in them which is tough and i don't Think that I've ever had to do that before, um, which is which kind of one of the major benefits of. I mean, I think a residency in general, but just like being away, um, can be really, really beneficial 
to just gaining some some insight and some reflection on your life because like if you're living your life and you're in the middle of stuff you can't you don't have that distance to see um you're just you're there and but if you can get out of it for a little bit or at least get out of those patterns you begin you can see a little bit of the rut that you're that you're carving for yourself which may not necessarily be a bad thing um i know there's a little upward inflection on that at the end of that um maybe maybe not i don't know i think that that's that's up to you and the the habits and the things that you're dealing with um but there are definitely some things that i've um that i've noticed about myself and the way that i do things and the way that i am in baltimore that i'm not not super happy with and i i want to change and i am very much appreciative of the fact that i got some I was able to to see them those habits upon reflection um because that I I feel like I probably would have noticed them it just it would have taken me a lot longer um to to arrive at the point had I not gone to Nebraska um one of the other things um speaking of noticing stuff uh, that I've been thinking about. So I've a friend of mine. Um, I work at the who I work at the the wood shop with Danielle. Um, also applied to Art Farm and was accepted, and is current. Well, yeah, I guess by the time that this airs, she'll still probably still be there. Uh, I think she's getting back this weekend. Um, so I was there for the first two weeks of October, and she's there for the second two weeks of October. And she's been keeping a um, kind of a daily, she has a, she has a website and she's been keeping kind of a daily blog of just the stuff that she's ex been experiencing at Art Farm. And um, earlier in her stay there, she sent me a, the link to it. Um, and I've been reading them and, you know, kind of keeping up to date. And I've been texting her a lot too, to just kind of see how she's doing. Because um, she... <laughs> Um, she, while I was there, she was texting me and kind of asking me, um, you know, what she should bring. Is there anything that she should know? And I gave her some kind of, some, some details about, you know, it's like definitely dress warm. Um, which I'm super glad that I told her to do because it dipped down into like the twenties a couple nights ago out in Nebraska. And that's ridiculous. And the, the places that we, that we were staying didn't have heat, um, so I think she was in like thermals and a sleeping bag and she ordered a space heater from Amazon and got it delivered to the, the farm out there, which is awesome um, because she needed it. But anyway, so, you know, I told her about the cold. I told her that to make peace with bugs and stuff because they're going to be all over the place. Um, but I purposely did not tell her more about kind of what to expect at art farm because i think that um i feel that art farm kind of one of the main aspects of it is that you kind of just you have to experience things for yourself and you you have to it's about adaptability and about how like where you can flex and the things that you can handle and um 
just kind of like making do with what with what's around and what's there and seeing what will work and i mean i so for art farm this is a little tangent for art farm um when you leave or before you leave you have to contribute some manner of art to you know just like the grounds um so i made a couple of journals and i hid them around um and I left one of the the bigger ones and the kind of the main one that I made in the room that I was staying in, um, in the hopes that Danielle would take it. Because in the, the beginning of the journal, the first couple of pages was kind of a general just, you know, hey, welcome to Art Farm. Here's some things to know about the house that you're staying in and just some things to know about kind of Art Farm now that you're here. Um, and part of the preface was, you know, like, sorry, I didn't warn you about the rest of this stuff which I was intending for Danielle, but I think is applicable for anybody who show, who winds up at Art Farm and may have stumbled upon the journal and didn't didn't know what the hell they were getting themselves into. Um, so she, she moved into the room and she found the journal. And I, I assume that she read the first couple of pages. So I got a chance to, you know, to kind of tell her sorry and explain my reasoning behind it. But, um, so anyway... So she's been there and she's been um she's been documenting kind of her her stay and um when i first read or i read the first her first couple of of entries i got this kind of i don't know i don't know if it was envy or jealousy or judgment on myself that it's it i felt my initial reaction was wow danielle's getting a lot more out of art farm than i did and that that was my just initial gut reaction um and we were texting when i when i realized this and um i kind of i told her that and then she said why and i was like i i don't know i have to i have to let that gestate for a little bit and it's been gestating um so this is this is kind of the reasoning and the response why that i think it's about the reason i felt like that is because um i am well it's kind of a couple things one of them is that i'm really really terrible at documenting the things that i do um like when i was out there i took maybe maybe 10 photos, mostly of the sky, because, like, if you've never been to Nebraska, the sky goes on for miles and miles, and it's, the clouds are gorgeous, and the sunsets are amazing, and it's just, like, I was enamored with that. So most of the photos of that um, were of just various cloud formations and skyscapes and stuff. Um, but... Yeah, like the the general kind of day-to-day stuff, I did not document. Um, I talked to only really kind of a handful of um, like Baltimore friends and other people while I was in, while I was there. Um, but for me, it was mostly about just the experience of being there and, and, and talking to the people that were in the house that I was staying at and the, the other residents. And like keeping that stuff for me. And I've like, I've talked to people about it and stuff, but I think for the, like this podcast right now is probably the most that I've talked in one sitting about just my experience and out there. Um, pardon me for a second. 
I got the post-nasal drip and a sore throat. Um, yeah, but it, it felt like being out there was... The important part of it was just soaking up the experience. Um, and... But, well, another part of it is the, is the whole kind of... I don't know. The, I don't know if it's a culture or if it's just the general practice of people. The whole idea of like Instagramming or throwing up a, a picture on Twitter or on Facebook that um, somehow taking pictures um, seems like taking taking and sharing pictures seems like it, it validates your experiences. And it's like people have been taking pictures for on vacations or doing whatever it is that they're doing for years, like Kodak. And like the little carousel thing is in slideshows or have been staples for people coming back from vacations and um, trips that they take away from wherever it is that they typically are. So that's not something new. Um, but the instantaneousness of it and the the, um, the amount of people that it reaches and the, the kind of immediacy of feedback that you can get on it feels like it somehow has shifted um, that like the experience that you have that you're not it's not so much about the experience that you're having in the moment and just being there it's about having this experience but taking the picture so you can share it to other people i mean and there's that whole you know the adage on um that's been around since like 4chan that you know pics or it didn't happen that whole i that whole idea it's like if you're if you're talking about something and you're telling a story people want proof um so there's this sort of outside validation that people can see that's like, oh, you actually did the things that you're saying that you're doing. But there's also the sort of validation for yourself that's like, oh, you know, everybody can see that I did this thing, whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, which has come up like two or three times in kind of relation with other stuff. But that's that kept drawing me back. And that that to me is, I think, part of the other part of it is that like I have never really been one to take photos um in my my high school group there was like there were a couple people that were kind of the the photo takers um and generally i mean yeah when i'm in larger groups of friends i usually kind of take on the role of the observer just kind of on the outside so i probably could be doing it but i don't know that's not usually that's not the, the thought that comes to mind when i'm hanging out with people it's like oh i should be taking pictures of this um I don't know if it's a like a need to preserve those memories or a um, you know like I guess maybe a backup or like you know having like a, a hard drive or something that you can back up things to that you you experience it so you have those memories but you can take pictures of them as sort of a, a backup for that memory because you know, like memories are are faulty sometimes you don't remember things. Um, perfectly or sometimes the memories shift or change or things get fuzzy there's a um for the people on facebook out there um it's like facebook has been doing the the like oh you know a year ago this is like the memories thing i don't know i don't know what the, the official name of it is but there'll be like posts from like a year or two years ago of things that you've done and they'll they'll throw them up again and there's a, a picture a friend of mine tagged me in from back when i was an undergrad with another person that I knew that I had completely forgotten. I had not thought about her in probably like four years or maybe even longer than that. And I felt terrible about it 
Um, and when I saw the picture, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that night. I remember the other times that we hung out. But it, she was, it was, it was almost like she was just effectively not, like she was wiped from my memory. Um, which is a really, it was kind of a, a unsettling moment that I had to realize that like all the other people and all the other experiences and things that I've had that have, like for all the things that I remember, there's probably like 20 or 30 and that's, I'm like majorly lowballing that, that I've forgotten or I've forgotten significant portions of. And that makes me, you know, wonder about how, how accurate my memory is for the things that I, I do remember. Cause I, I pride myself on having a pretty good recall for, for things. Um, but there's always that sort of shakiness of like, ah, because I like, this will hopefully be a, a relatively short tan tangent. Um, when I was in, I think like fourth, fourth or fifth grade, um, I broke both my wrists. Um, I was on a Boy Scout retreat thing in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. I seemed to wind up in the middle of nowhere in places a lot, but anyway, um, it was my friend, um, my friend's dad, my dad, and me. And for this particular Boy Scout, uh, we were at a Boy Scout camping trip thing. And for this particular Boy Scout trip, the, there were different stations, and you had to go to different stations, and you collect beads, and I think at the end of the trip, whoever had the most beads would get some sort of prize. Um, so I think we were, we had just done archery, or we were head, yeah, I think we had just done archery, we were heading for, to some one of the other stations, and in the middle of the woods on this path, there was this kind of dilapidated monkey bars. Like, I don't know, set of monkey bars. I don't know why they were out there. They were just out there. Um, so my friend goes across, no problems. And not wanting to be like outdone by my friend, I decided to go across. Um, but there were a couple of things that conspired against me. One, it was a hot day. Like middle of well, maybe not middle of summer, but it was it was a hot. It was in Mississippi, like so. It was you know, and we were in. It was just it was hot. Um, two, when I was a kid, and it's still kind of now, I sweat very very easily. Three, I was really husky slash pudgy when I was a kid, um, and not the most athletic. So I get up on the monkey bars and I have one hand on the first rung. I'm going to swing out to the third rung to be, you know, cool and badass or whatever. And I swing out and I slip off and, uh, you know, I hit kind of the apex and I kind of roll over and fall and I land on my wrists. Um, so my dad and I have to walk all the way back to our campsite. My dad has to take down the tent. We pack up the car and then we have to drive all the way back to New Orleans. And the way that I remember it is that, um, like we leave the campsite at maybe, I don't know, sometime in mid to late afternoon, we get back into the city at around like six or seven. We go to the emergency room. We stay at the emergency room all night and I get cast. I end up having casts on both wrists. Um, but we stay there the whole night. I get my casts and then we go home. Um, cause I, I can remember, I remember watching or seeing the entirety of Batman returns while I was waiting, you know, like the various stages of getting x-rayed and waiting for the x-rays to develop and then 
one of my wrists had to be reset so that had to happen and the doctor had to you know like check things i had to get more x-rays i had to get the gas put on you know it's like the whole the whole litany of all the things that happen when you break bones um but i remember seeing all of the entirety of batman returns in the hospital waiting room um and like you know various stages of it It was on tv that night i guess and and that's the thing but for me um like i remember being there all night and my dad remembers it as we go to the, the emergency room or and they like look at it and say that it's not so bad and they send me home and then we go the next day and I get casts, I get my casts put on, which to me doesn't make any sense because if they, if they look at my wrists and they, they see that they're broken or at least that I need casts, I don't think that they would send me home um, in the event that I would damage them or hurt them more so um and two batman returns is not a movie that they would show in the middle of the day and i am absolutely positive that i watched it during like the whole the whole ordeal but i didn't realize this until about a year ago i was talking to my dad and my mom about it and my i related my memory of it and my dad related his memory of it and that was the first time that I was ever presented with kind of the alternate an alternate history of how that experience went and that kind of shook me um in not in any really kind of conscious way although it does kind of happen sometimes but in a kind of unconscious just now this is a new thing that's kind of hanging out on the periphery of my thoughts of you know how how accurate is my memory actually because i know that there are certain things that i forget and there are certain things that just like they come in and they just leave and there are other things that really stick out and they stick with me um and have really kind of unchanged all the times that i think about them so i don't know but that's a whole whole long tangent but anyway um, bottom line is that I thinking about it now I don't think that Danielle got more out of Art Farm than I did um, and I'm thinking like I, I wrote a poem a day so I left Art Farm with 14 poems and a, I don't know maybe like 7 or 8 haiku that I just wrote while I was around you know walking around or just things that happened that influenced me or um, drove me to write a haiku um, so for me, that's like that, those are my blog posts. Those are, that's my, um, that's my cataloging of the events that happened. And I just, it, it took me a little bit to realize like, oh, this is actually how I'm retaining these experiences and how I'm choosing to, to share them. Um, because I think Danielle's writing stuff out there, but I don't know if it's necessarily things that have influ been influenced by her her time while she was there. It's the blog posts are really kind of I I think, and I could be wrong on this. Um, and I'm planning on interviewing Danielle in about a month or so. Um, so I'm sure that she will correct me if um if I'm wrong on this. But it seems that her blog posts are the kind of the capturing of her experience at art farm and the things that she was working on out there, um, are 
things that you that you just needed the space or the time to work on um which was you know like i like i've said is not you know not what i was doing when i was what i when i was out there i i was very much wanting to see what my experiences how that would affect my art um so I don't know. I, I guess it's it's an issue of documentation and the 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 way that that's presented to people because like blogging or taking photos on posting them on Instagram or Facebook or something that's a really really public like really instantaneous very public way of of sharing your experiences and sharing the at least your cataloging your documentation of them and um you know, like she, she wrote a blog post every day and you can go and read them. And I'm going to probably, I'm going to throw up a, a link in the description for this, for this episode of, of this thing, of, of her, of her posts. Um, but you know, so like every, every day you can go read a new one of hers and for my poems, like, I mean, I've started a writing group, so my writing group will probably see them. Um, and I read them to some of my housemates and stuff while I was in Nebraska, but, um, it might be a while before the, a more general or more public version of them surface. Um, so I don't know, I, I guess, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's a documentation of time and I don't know. I, I've been noticing with myself and I think that this is one of the reasons that I, I think my initial reaction was like, wow, Danielle's getting a lot more out of being there than I did is that I, I feel like I don't go deep enough into things, um, like into my writing or into my music or into like life in general. Maybe, I don't know that I'm like, maybe not on the surface, but things feel kind of shallow. Um, and I'm not really sure how to get them, how to get things deeper. Um, so, and that's, I think that's part of one of the, like the habit thing that I'm trying to, or the pattern of behavior that I'm trying to break um, is just figuring out how to get things deeper or even figuring out if, if they need to be deeper. Maybe that's just a perception of that I have um, looking at my art and my life in comparison with other people's art and lives. And like, if it could be true and if it is true, then like maybe what does it matter? Or it could not be true. And then you know, that kind of quells some other questions. I don't know. That's, that's something that I need to give a little bit more, um, a little more time and a little more space to kind of gestate. I think that I'm on the be at the beginning of it. Um, like starting down that path, or at least I can see that there's a path that I can, I can take, but I have not actually gone down it yet. Um, let's see. Oh, the first thing that, um, actually the thing that's kind of spawned this idea of, or doing a podcast about kind of a recap of, of art farm um, and, uh, I went to Haiku North America in Schenectady up at Union College at the end of my stay at, at Art Farm. Um, so I, I 
flew to, uh, I mean, through some layovers and connections and stuff, but I flew from Nebraska up to Albany. Um, but I will, I will get to that. Um, but one of the, one of the, the things that kind of kicked off thinking of doing a podcast as, as a recap was I was at work this week and I was going outside, I think to throw away some trash and I saw a little something kind of in the shadows of, um, I think it was like a ladder or something. And I thought it immediately thought, it was like, oh, is that a cricket? And it turned out to be a, just like a piece of fuzz or some metal or something. Um, I think it may have been carpet fuzz. I don't know. It was something that was non, non-organic, or at least if it was organic, was not alive. And we've had crickets in the shop before, so that's really not unusual to think, oh, that's a cricket. But I realized that my initial response was thinking of thinking, of, oh, is this an animal, was because out in Art Farm, um, there were grasshoppers and crickets kind of just everywhere. Um, like walking out in the fields, you took a step and maybe 15 or 20 of them would just scatter. And I realized that being, that being out in Nebraska, I was in contact daily with a lot more um, animal life than I am typically in Baltimore. Usually in Baltimore, the only kind of living, like non-human living thing, life that I have contact with is Senka, my roommate's cat. Um, I mean, there are squirrels and there are birds and stuff that are around, and but it's not, um, not as in, in your face as it was in in Nebraska, because there are grasshoppers, like I said, everywhere. They would get into the house. Um, there were spiders all over the place in the house, especially in the bathroom. That seemed to be where they enjoyed hanging out. Um, there were mosquitoes. There were flies. There were ladybugs. Um, there were these little terrible biting gnat things out in the fields. Um, so you are confronted with these things in a much more um, immediate way. And in the beginning, or when I first got there, there was a little bit, for certain, some of the animals... Um, or some of the bugs, like the gnats and the mosquitoes, was this sort of like I was incensed that they were around and that they were in my space. Um, and then I realized it's like, no, no, I'm kind of out in their space. And just realizing you're thinking about the natural world, you know, it's like we, I think people live largely kind of um, natural life sterilized sterilized lives like we're, we're very much separated from that you know it's like you get like a, an ant or fruit flies or something in your apartment you exterminate them um because they don't belong there but if you're out you know like in the woods or out in the country it's like they're there and they're a part of the cycle of things that they play certain roles and the fact that they're in your house um you know, it's like it may be not ideal for you because they're in, you know, your sugar or if it's ants or something, it's like, you know, they're in the, they're in your sugar or they're in things that they don't need to be in. But you know, it's like they're not it's not a malicious thing. It's the they're just kind of doing what they do. Um, it's more difficult when they're um, 
some sort of parasitical thing like mosquitoes or those little gnats. God, oh. those were the only those were the main thing that um that really that really got to me in Nebraska. Like mosquitoes did a little bit, but I'm generally they don't seem to like me. At least the ones in Nebraska didn't seem to like me very much. So it was easy to kind of just like, eh. If they I mean, if they if they were swarming me, I probably would have had a very different relationship with them but for the most part it's like yeah you know i mean and growing up in louisiana mosquitoes are really kind of nothing new and they're big enough and that you can see where they're going to go and they're usually loud enough or have a distinctive sound that you can figure out where they are um but um yeah you just i think that when you live in the city or when you live away from nature you get this sort of like um this attitude of like oh how how dare you come into my space and i don't know i think that that's i think that's unhealthy um i think that's really unhealthy because yes i mean if you have like roaches and stuff everywhere or just flies everywhere that may not be the the healthiest thing although i think flies are actually pretty clean um Maybe that's roaches. I don't know. But, you know, it's like you have infestations and stuff, and that's that's not really good for anybody. But um, generally, like, bugs and stuff in your in your house, or like a mouse or something, it's like, yeah, they they maybe don't belong in, in the wall of a house, but, like, maybe we don't belong in houses either. Um, and it's like, and that, that brings me to another, another thing of, well, one, so it was was just being like, being around much more kind of natural life and things that I, I normally wouldn't be around. And two, um, like when I'm at the shop, when I'm at the wood shop, we listen to, we have NPR on all day. So I've gotten to the habit of kind of telling time by the shows that are on, you know, so like in the morning, um, from nine to ten, it's either um, Maryland Morning or it's um, Morning Edition, and then from ten to twelve, it's the Dan Ream Show. From twelve to one, it's um, Midday. From one to three, it's Here and Now, or sometimes um, Science, like Science Friday, is sometimes on, and then Fresh Air, and then. Um, all things considered. So it's like each, each hour, it's like, I, I kind of know what things are like where I am in the day based upon the, the, what I'm listening to on the radio. Um, when I was at Nebraska, I'm actually kind of surprised that I was able to name all of those, even though I've listened to them every day for the last almost a year, no more than a year. Um, but in Nebraska, um, I noticed that I really didn't kind of keep time like the only thing that I was really concerned with was um, like when the sun would set. And that was only, you know, like kind of later in the afternoon if I was out doing something and I wanted to be like, there was one day I took a, a really long walk and I wanted to make sure that I would, was back before um, sundown because I didn't have any lights or anything on me. I didn't have a light source on me and it would have been difficult to get back to um, the house if I didn't. Um, yeah. So like I, either one didn't care about what time it was or 
to use more natural ways, like using the, the position of the sun and stuff to figure out what the hell time it was. Um, but it was really, really freeing to be, you know, like to eat when you're hungry, not at a particular time. Um, and in most cases, just not really care. Um, and I've often wondered, um, you know, it's like living on the farm, like living on a farm. And I, I may have a kind of romanticized notion of that, but it seems that things, at least living out in like, when you're closer to living, when you live closer to the land, um, and you, you deal with much more natural things than urban things, it seems like life kind of follows a much more natural cycle that things like you're, you're not so, so, um, beholden to time as a, as we know it as a construct of like specific hours that you do things. Um, it's more a just kind of when they happen in the day. Um, and I, I mean, a large part of not caring what time it was at Art Farm is that there really wasn't a whole lot that I had to do at particular times. I mean, in the morning on the work days, I'd had to be at work by nine um, and we'd finish at 12. So I, would, you know, occasionally check to see um, you know, like what time it was while, while we were working. But aside from that, from like 12 on until sundown, I really like... I didn't didn't need to know, um, which is a really it's kind of a wonderful feeling. Again, as like I guess that sort of like no outs no external force keeping you to task on anything because like it could all be internal and it was a much more um, I don't know like intuitive way of of dealing with stuff that it was. Um, you kind of got into just the sense of things instead of the, you know, like, like looking at a clock to know exactly what time it is versus looking at the sun and using the kind of trick where you put your hand up to it. Um, so that your thumb is facing up and each, each finger is about 15 minutes. So you, you know, you put your hand underneath the sun and then you kind of just keep moving down to the horizon. And that's about generally about how much time you have left before sunset. Um, and it's not exact, you know, it's like a rough, it's rough. Um, and that felt more, I don't know, it felt more natural to, to deal with kind of more estimations and more kind of like, yeah, it's generally around this time or it's like, yeah, it's kind of general this instead of to be so exacting at like, I have to do this at 12 o'clock and I'm doing this at three o'clock and I'm doing this at you know, like 530 or 514 or whatever. Um, that feels much too precise for me. Um, I'm generally late for stuff, not super late, but kind of, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I'm early or like on time, but I generally, I feel like I, I generally find, feel like I have more time than I actually do. Um, so things that take a certain amount of time and my mind take less time than they actually do. So that usually pushes me being late for stuff. Like I, tonight I was, I had dinner with some friends. Um, 
and I wanted to exercise beforehand and then so I exercised um and then I had to get ready and so I ended up being like 20 minutes late later than the time that I said I was going to be there um and it didn't matter tonight because they weren't finished cooking dinner anyway but it still was like you know like I I had to adjust and I I didn't adjust super well um but it feels but if I have been dealing with kind of just generalities of like, well, you know, I'll be there kind of around this time. That would have, you know, I would have been within that kind of rough estimate. And I've, I've just realized that when I tell people, when I make plans with people, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of like six, uh, if I'm meeting somebody for dinner, you know, it'll be like 6.30 to 7-ish to have that window of like a half an hour that you can swing kind of either direction and you'll still be in the, the I, you know, the general time frame, that ballpark of the time that you say that you're going to be there instead of being like, I'm going to be here exactly at seven o'clock. Cause you know, I'm, I suck at that. And you know, also it's like there could be traffic or, you know, maybe your cat throws up and you got to spend like five minutes cleaning that up and that knocks you out. I don't know. I, I, I try not to deal with, um, exactitudes as often as I can um because it feels like they're part of like binaries they're part of like um it's either this or that like that sort of dichotomy and I'm uncomfortable with with those I much rather deal with kind of gray and a little bit of want a lot of wiggle room and sort of um like things on a continuum or on a spectrum, even though spectrums, you know, it's like your hand be set up between like two points, but a more sort of, um, palette. I don't know. Time palette. I like the, I like to see time as a palette instead of a, <laughs> instead of a, as a straight line. Um, yeah. Um, Another difference and a thing that I miss um, like tremendously. So um, Megan, Holly, and Elise, if you're listening right now, I miss y'all a great deal. And I hope that we find all four of us find each other together at, at the same time, at the same place at some point in the future. Um, Cause if we don't, that would be sad. Um, but the, the frequency and the depth or the frequency of these conversations and the depths of these conversations that I like, I had a lot of really deep, awesome conversations with the people who were living in the same house that I was living in, living at, at art farm. And, um, that's been in pretty stark contrast of in the last couple of months, really being out of the loop with a lot of my friends and a lot of just stuff happening in Baltimore. That's like, I've, you know, like working two jobs and doing, trying to do run a side press and just have time to do my own art and just time to like enough space for things to kind of gestate in my unconscious. Um, that eats up a lot of time. And I've been really, really crappy at making time for my friends. Um, which is terrible. Um, just one, because of, you know, just for the, the health of the friendships that I have with these people, but also just for my own like emotional and spiritual health. Cause I need deep conversations with people and I have not been getting a whole lot of them in Baltimore. And it was 
so wonderful in Nebraska at Art Farm to be surrounded by artists and to have enough time, again, because you didn't have to do anything, to just sit and talk with people for hours. Like really interesting, very deep thinking people, and I have missed that tremendously. Um, pardon me again. I um I don't know. I've been I've been dealing with a deficit of that, and it was nice to be to get some regained at Art Farm. Um. And I, I realized that um, since being out of school, it's been a lot more difficult for me to maintain that sort of continued feeding of that side of me of just like talking and thinking deeply about things. Because um, in, you know, in school, that's what you do. You have to be critical. You have to analyze. You have to get kind of down into the depths of stuff. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason why I feel like I haven't been like my art and my life has been relatively shallow or not as deep as it could be because I'm not actively engaging in that stuff. And it's, you know, and it at least ostensibly seems like it's difficult for me to just deal with that or to do that with myself because I don't really keep a journal and I don't, um, I don't know. I sometimes need people to bounce ideas off of. Um, which is again, like, like I was, I mentioned earlier, being with people that have a different perspective, um, one than me and two than the people that I'm used to hanging out with, um, was just like fresh air every which way that it could possibly happen. Um, and like not, not challenging in a, um, like the kind of slang that you would use if you're trying to be nice, but not so nice about somebody. Um, but challenging and like it, it required me to think about things differently, like, you know, to break out of habits or just to realize that, Oh, this is just a, a pattern of thinking that I'm in that I don't really have any basis for. And the, the things that people are bringing up, it's like, that's a really, really solid point. And I'm going to have to let that sit for a little bit to see if that meshes with, you know, with my own truth and my own experiences. Um, and even if it doesn't, it's still, you know, like a valid thing that somebody brought up. But any, anyway, speaking of generalities. Um, but I really, I missed that. I had two weeks of almost nonstop that, and it was just, it was wonderful. And I'm, I'm feeling the hunger and I'm feeling the withdrawal from that right now. Um, and I'm glad that like the podcast is, I think, in part an attempt for me to, to get back some of that, and at least in so, like a semi-regular fashion. Um, because one, you know, I, mean, I do really want to talk to friends about, um, or at least at the beginning, because the, the people that I have access to, my, my friends about poetry. But like I'm... I feel like these are when I when I interview people I'm getting somewhere maybe not super deep but at least deeper than I I typically go in my general life when I'm not talking to a whole lot of people um or maybe I do get deep, that deep but it's only in talking with other people that I realize that I've actually gained some ground on something 
Um, but yeah, I think that this is this doing this podcast <clears throat> in large part has grown out of my desire to, to like talk to people again. And this, this gives me an excuse and, um, Sorry, folks. I've been talking for a while tonight. My throat's getting all dry. Um, no, but this podcast, this podcast gives me an excuse to like talk to people about deep, deep stuff. Because that's that's my bread and butter. That's the I need. I thrive on that. Um, <clears throat> hmm. It looks like I hit on. Oh no, sorry. There's one more thing. My little list that I was writing down at work today of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, there's less life. I got the noticing habits. I got the deep conversations. Oh, and the um. Now, yeah, I got the academic stuff too. Got the documentation. Got the how to tell time. Um, this is something that I noticed on my way home today. Um, when I was in Nebraska, kind of towards the end. Um, I listened to music more, like my, the end of my stay there, but the first, like, week, I don't think I touched my iPod, like, at all. Um, I brought it with me when I went on my long walk that one day. Um, I listened to it when I biked to one of the, like, the only small town that was relatively close. Um, but for the most part, like, I really didn't listen to music which is unusual for me because my iPod is um, usually by my side and my headphones are usually in my ear and like music is a super important at like part of my life. Um, but I don't like, I don't know if I didn't need it or what. Um, but I noticed on my way on my drive home today, um, like I was listening to NPR for part of the drive home and then I was kind of flipping through some of the radio stations and then I put my headphones in and I don't like, I don't know if I'm trying to block things out or if I'm just like not interested in the stuff that's, that's around me. Um, I mean, listening to music sometimes makes me hyper-focused and vigilant about stuff. So listening to it while I'm driving makes a little bit of sense because it, it, like it sharpens my attention to my visual attention to things and my music's not so loud that I can't hear a horn or can't hear you know a siren or something um but when I'm in Baltimore I'm or driving around I'm usually listening to something and even when I first oh, sorry um even when I first moved here, I listened to a lot of music. So it's not a, I don't think it's a, it's a newness thing. I think there was just, there was something about Nebraska that like, I wanted, I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear Nebraska. Um, and maybe it was a, like a natural thing that it, there were a lot more bird calls, at least where we were, there was some trees and there was like a little pocket of grove of trees. We got a, a lot of bird calls. We had squirrels. I mean, the wind was almost a constant just presence in the sound of the wind. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That will, is also something that will probably have to sit a little bit longer. 
Um, just because, like, I noticed it. And that's the thing. It's like, I've been, I think that I would have noticed it, noticed the, the music thing eventually. It just would have taken me a lot longer. But, I mean, and it, it has taken me, like, almost two weeks to realize that after being back from Nebraska. But, yeah, I don't, like, I really have no idea why. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's worth noting and worth documenting, I think, um, to use some language of stuff talked earlier about in the podcast. Wow, I've been talking for almost an hour. Jeez. Um, I did not think that I would actually have this much to say for this podcast or this ep- this particular episode. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't have, I don't have a reason. I don't have a, I don't have a solid conclusion on this. It was just something that I noticed today. I was like, wow, this is significant. I don't know what the significance is. Um, like uh, the Mary Oliver poem that I heard um, on the radio today. I don't remember the name. Um, see if I can find it real quick for y'all. Um, Garrison Keeler seems to really enjoy Mary Oliver poetry because in the last maybe month or so that I've listened to NPR and listened to the writer's almanac, there have been maybe like four, four or five poems of hers that were read. Um, let's see. Find it. You know what? I might actually just read this poem. Um, so the name of the poem is Nothing is Too Small Not to be Wondered About. It's by Mary Oliver. Um, there's a line in here that she says that this this must mean something. So, like, today. Um, or this must mean something. I don't know what. So, today. Recognizing that um, that I did not really touch my iPod in Nebraska, and yet it's a constant, constant companion for me in Baltimore. It means something, but I don't know what. So anyway just because I can. Um, this is a poem by Mary Oliver. It is in her collection Felicity, which I think was has been published already. Um, if Yeah, I think so. Um, but I, you'll probably hear a bunch of Mary Oliver poems um, recited or at least talked about on this podcast because I am in love with the way that she writes. Um, anyway, here we go. And I actually... This will be, this will be a, a nice little begin transition that um, I think I'm going to read my first, not the first non haiku poem that I that I wrote in Nebraska, and then the last one that I wrote, um, and they've been very very lightly edited, and will probably change, but um, I don't know. I I feel like sharing more poetry on, like in general on this podcast. Um, and I've read mostly so far other poems by other people, and I have not shared any of my own stuff. Um, so, in the in the interest of um, keeping up with Instagram culture, I'll share some poems. But anyway, this is um, nothing is too small not to be wondered about by Mary Oliver. The cricket doesn't wonder if there's a heaven 
or if there is, if there's room for him. It's fall. Romance is over. Still, he sings. If he can, he enters a house through the tiniest crack under the door. Then the house grows colder. He sings slower and slower. Then, nothing. This must mean something. I don't know what. But certainly, it doesn't mean he hasn't been an excellent cricket all his life. That's it. Um, which again, you know, crickets and natural life and the fact that um, I imagine I imagine Mary Oliver was probably, you know, sitting in her house and a cricket came in or she heard a cricket as you typically do in autumn. Um, and that's like that to me is like that's one of those things that you know, if you if you live in an apartment or you live in in the city somewhere, it's probably not an experience that you will you will get to have, um, which I think is really like that's that's a loss. Um, I don't. I think that in Nebraska there was a lot more. You noticed a lot more of the small things. Um, like what color those like some flowers are or the how how like the different colors of green that exist between you know like pine trees or some the various conifers that were around um and the oak and maybe the elm or whatever like spruce or what you know whatever other trees are around and the, the green that are still that's still in the fields um like on the the wheat plants and on the little scrub trees and on some of the weird flowering plants and stuff all like the the slight variations of that or the all the different color blues um and i think in i think in urban areas or um more fast-paced quote-unquote living there's there's so much other stuff competing for your attention and a lot of it's bigger and a lot of it's sharper and a lot of it's louder um, and a lot of it's more, um, more necessary. Like you got to pay attention for cars all the time when you're driving, when you're walking, it's just, it's a thing that you need to be aware of because these things can kill you. Whereas in Nebraska, if you're out in a field, really, unless a tornado kind of just comes up, um, without warning, which I don't think ever happens. Um, I mean, yes, maybe without warning if there's a storm happening, but you're not, it's not just going to like, like jump out from behind a small hill at you. Um, there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot less big stuff that needs your attention. So that frees up things. So you can notice a lot of the small stuff. Um, like the fact that a grasshopper has red and has little red highlights on um, on his wings. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, and I, th I think that not being connected to the small stuff is really detrimental because I, I think that it's been my experience that life 
more life happens in the small things than happen in the big moments. And I'm not, not not to say that the big moments don't happen and the big moments don't contain a hell of a lot of life, but um, it feels like those big moments are so few and far between. Like, when they happen, they really fucking, they shake things up tremendously. But, you know, in between those spikes of those big moments, you have just infinite small things that happen and it's all those small things that that add up and you know that adjust your rudders and maybe blow or throw a breeze into your your sails one direction or another and you miss so much um actually there's another a friend of mine um Shayna, who is one of my absolute best friends, and I love her, like, as much as somebody can love somebody else, if not more so, um, I actually posted a, a poem by Mary Oliver on my Facebook, um, on my timeline today, it happens to be from the same book, Felicity, which we should go, everybody should go by, um, but there's a it's a segmented poem and one of the, the sections of it says or reads um, for how many years did I wander slowly through the forest what wonder and glory I would have missed had I ever been in a hurry and it, it goes on that's kind of that shows up kind of in the middle but I think that that's like that's the sentiment that I, I think that, that that she captures that if you could, if you have the the privilege and the freedom to take your time, you can notice these small things, and you can see how much, um, how much wonder and how much beauty and how much life is jam packed into these little small moments. Um, but if if you're hurrying and you you're being accosted with like these big these big things. Like all this, all these stressors and these the things that kick off anxiety, um, you're gonna miss a whole lot, which is a good transition. And I did not plan this um, to talk about the haiku conference that I went to, um, Haiku North America. Um, and like for me, haiku are really emblematic of those. Um, I think more so than any other form of poetry or really any other form of art. That I've encountered um, is really dedicated to um, lifting up the really kind of small moments and um, revealing the beauty that exists in them, and not not trying to find beauty in these moments, but acknowledging the beauty that is actually there because it exists and it's in those it's like those those small things that really can it's amazing to me how how much the the small things um can affect your momentum and your mood and the trajectory of your day because it like one small thing can turn a good day into a terrible day and one small thing can turn a terrible day into a good day i mean big things can do that too but um i think in most days it's the little it's the little things that just kind of like you know like a rock or like a tiny rock or a tiny pebble that just kind of hits you or then it's in your path and you step on and it just 
shifts you a little bit. Um, usually, I think unseen or un, um, unrecognized because, again, you, if you're dealing with a lot of big things, this one little small thing isn't going to probably is not going to be a, a much of a blip on your radar. Um, but probably will have significant much more than you than you think have has affected you. But anyway, so haiku, you know, if you're looking for an art form um, or an art style that um, does honor to those moments um, and seeks them out and seeks to like preserve and um, like transfer and like pass them around, check out haiku. And if you happen to fall in love with haiku, um, or at least or begin to get keen on it, um, every two years there, uh, the haiku, haiku, uh, I don't, is it the haiku society of America? I don't know. There's, there is a conference, um, somewhere in the United States, um, that is a that is for haiku. It's like AWP, um, but in a much much smaller and a more niche niche. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Um, of a um, yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's like AWP. It's a writing conference, but it's a much on a much smaller scale for a more um, specified interest. Um, this year it was in. Schenectady, uh, Union College. Next year, it will be in, I think, Santa Fe? No, sorry, 2017, it will be in Santa Fe. <clears throat> and the 2019 one will be, uh, the location for that one will be revealed in at the banquet in 2017. Um, I will be throwing, I will be putting up a link for ha the Haiku North America, as, as well as the um, Haiku Society of America. I think it's HSA. I think that's the acronym. Um, I'm not going to talk about haiku this podcast. Um, there is a haiku poet that is holding a, I don't know if it's a workshop or if it's a lecture, or it might be both. Um, and it was going to, it was going to be in November, but it was moved to February. Um, I also, I'll also put up a link for that. I, there might still be some tickets for that. Um, but I'm hoping, I've not talked to her about this, but I'm going to try to get in touch with her and see if she would be willing to do a haiku podcast or a, a podcast dedicated to haiku, um, in February, maybe, um, in advance of, of her visit and her, um, her event or afterwards. Um, because, and this is, I mean, you had to wait an hour and 18 minutes to, to hear what I was originally going to plan for, um, for the October episode, so sorry about that. Um, this is not a bait and switch for anybody <laughs> who is listening, just solely for that reason, to find out why. Um, but my original plan for October was to do two special on-location episodes. Um, one in Nebraska with somebody that was willing to talk to me for you know an hour about poetry, and then one at the Haiku North America Conference um, with one or as many people as I could find that would be willing to talk to me about specifically haiku. Um, but um, 
that didn't happen. Obviously, that didn't ha that didn't happen. Um, for Art Farm, there were people that I definitely think would have been willing to sit down and talk with me. Um, but I don't know. I didn't. I didn't feel like doing a podcast there was like it would have been the right time. Um, or like the I don't know. Not right in the sense of like right and wrong thing to do, but right in the sense of like it just didn't feel like 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 not listening to music um it didn't feel like that was something that need that should have happened at art farm that it was art farm for me was a lot more about just the experience and just being there and actually talking with people for my own sake and not i mean and this, this podcast is kind of for my own sake but not you know um it was a much more internal trip than i think doing a podcast um would allow um and then for the Haiku North America conference, um, that trip was, so I ended up, I almost missed my connection flight out of the Washington Regan airport on account of, um, uh, I was flying out of Dallas and the plane that we were on had some sort of mechanical issue. Um, and they had to give us a new plane, which put us like an hour and I think 45 minutes behind schedule. And I made my connecting flight by the skin of something that has really really thin skin um or no skin at all possibly that's how close it was they ended up holding the that uh that flight i don't know if it was because they they had a lot of people that were coming from dallas um and they decided to be nice i don't know if it was some other reason maybe it was like a gate issue or something but they held the flight for a significant amount of time which allowed me to make it um but like my bag didn't make it on the on the flight up with me. I had to wait. Um, I at that point I had been traveling for like seven hours. Um, so the first official day of panels and stuff for the conference was Thursday. Um, I got to Albany very very early Thursday morning. Um, the bus leaving the hotel to get to the conference, um, I think, was uh, for eight fifteen. Um, I didn't go to bed until five that morning and did not wake up until like 10. Um, so I missed the bus. I was also just exhausted. So Thursday was shot. Um, Friday was my first official day at the, at, at the conference and trying to get the lay of the land. Um, Saturday I had to leave relatively early in the evening to catch a train to get back down to Baltimore. Um, so I did not have a whole lot of time to do really anything. Um, I didn't get as much networking done as I wanted to. Um, I, I think underestimated how far away the, the college was where the whole, the conference was being held at Union College, which was like a 25 ish minute shuttle ride from the, the hotel. Um, I don't know, things just conspired to not work out for me. Um, yeah, um, I'd actually kind of made peace on my flight from Dallas, thinking that there's the chance that I might have missed the conference. I actually kind of made peace with that and was kind of looking forward to going just home. Um, but, you know, but making the flight, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to this now. Um, so it was, I don't know, it was... 
a much different experience than the 2013 conference. Um, I don't, I can't say that it was good or bad, um, like better or worse than the 2013 one. It was just very, very different. Um, and whereas I had no expectations for Art Farm, I think I was, I had certain expectations um, for Haiku North America. And when I got to Albany, realized very quickly that all those expectations were just shot. Um, I got a lot of good information. Um, I actually kind of connected with peripherally some of the people that I, I wanted to really connect with. Um, and I have all of their email addresses, so I'm, I can, you know, send them actually thought out questions instead of just kind of stammering <laughs> around in person. Um, cause I can be, I can be terrible when it comes to like small talking before leading up to actually interacting with people in a meaningful way. Um, but yeah, so very quickly I, I realized that all the things that I wanted to do at that conference probably weren't going to happen. Um, and I just had to let it just be what it was. Um, there was some disappointment, but you know, yeah, it's like, it's, not, it's like you got to bend, um, you got to be flexible enough to accommodate certain things when they don't go the way that you want them to go. Um, yeah, so I was, it would have been cool, um, but I still think I'll have a chance to talk to somebody about Haiku in February. Um, if not, I'll just do my own spiel about Haiku from, you know, like a history lesson or whatever. It also give me a little time to finish reading one of a book that I'm about, like the, um, uh, I think it's called Haiku, a Poet's Guide or a Poet's Guide to Haiku. Um, something like that. It's by Lee Gerga. Um, I'll put up a, a link of that to a link for that as well. Um, actually, let me write that down the things that I want to link. Mary Oliver poems. H and A H S A. I could think in Baltimore. Um, what was it? What did I just say? Oh, I'm gonna have to listen to this again. Oh, it's really embarrassing. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, oh, Lee Gerga's book. Ha. Yeah. So I'm I'm reading through that, and it's um. Give some some history on haiku and kind of just like what um, contemporary haiku, at least in like English English language writing of it, kind of what that what that kind of looks like. Um, so that'll give me a little more time to to kind of bone up again on um, kind of the the whole um, the practice and the tradition of it. Um, both in the event that I get to talk to the person I want to talk to and in the event that I can't. Um, and I am planning on applying to a lot more residencies. So um, hopefully this podcast will last for a long time or at least long enough for me to do an actual on location. Um, 
recording. Because, like, the Anthony's and Tracy's were, were recorded at their respective um, house and apartment. Um, so I guess those are technically on location. But I meant, like, location, location, outside of outside of Baltimore. Um, yeah, but if, if anybody out there listening is into haiku or wants to get more into haiku or is looking for, like, a community to be a part of, um, check out haiku, the Haiku Society of America. Um, if you can make it to Santa Fe, um, check out Haiku North America. Um, you, if you're, if there's like a particular editor that you would like to get in touch with that you can't find an email address, um, let me know. I have a list of um, a good number of them. The like. Um, Acorn and Heron's Nest and Modern Haiku and uh, Bottle Rockets. Um, I imagine that all of them have their email address listed. Like the editors have the email address listed on the the various and respective websites for each of those journals. But in the event that they don't and you're really desperately trying to get in touch with one of them, if you have any burning haiku questions or questions about making journals... Um, well, yeah, I guess contact me. Um, I don't think that that would be an issue. I don't know. I don't know the ethics on that. Um, I mean, if it is an ethical issue question, um, maybe just maybe contact. Well, yeah, I mean, never mind. If if you can't find an email address, um, go to Haiku North America and talk to them in person. I don't. I'm guys, it's like one o'clock in the morning and I've I'm tired. I've been it's been a long day. <laughs> so please please forgive me if I'm um spouting bad bad policy in regards to um getting into contact with editors and people that I only know kind of. Um I think I think that's it. Um, that might be as much as I can do. This is probably going to be the longest episode. I don't, sorry, I don't know why they keep getting longer. Um, I'm trying, really. I don't, I don't mean them for them to be this long. And I know that you have probably other things that you want to listen to and other podcasts that are, um, that are, um, equally worthy of your attention. Um, thank you for listening. Um, I have over 1200 listens on my SoundCloud, which is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Um, like nine, no, like probably over a thousand of those have been people who've just been listening to these podcasts. Um, which is mind-boggling to me. Um, no. It's it's jumped up a lot. I don't. I was not paying. It, I was not keeping track of what the plays were before. But um, yeah, a lot of y'all have been listening. Um, I don't know who you are. I might know who some of you are, but 
thank you. I mean, it's, it's, I really appreciate it. It's also super encouraging that there are people that are out there that are actually, um, willing to listen to me for over an hour and a half, just kind of rambly talk about stuff. Um, I guess I'm doing something right. Um, and if I'm not, at least I'm not doing something right in an entertaining manner. Um, November will be, I'll be back to the typical, um, well, what will be the typical setup of, um, two episodes, um, two episodes a month. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, my friends, Sarah Bear and, Aunt, uh, Anne-Marie Brockmeyer will be my two guests. I've talked to them a little bit. Um, they're both willing. I don't, think that I've finalized that they'll be my November guests, but that's my plan. Um, I'm, we'll hopefully do like a more than just me and one person, one soon. Uh, I'd like to have a little, a small panel. Um, but yeah, um, since this will be, hopefully be up on the 31st, happy Halloween, everybody. Um, Enjoy whatever plans that you have. Um, be uh, be safe. Um, if you get into trouble, make sure you can get out of it. Um, or I guess, in other words, only get into trouble that you know that you can get out of. Um, which also might be bad policy, but I tell it to my roommate's cat most mornings when I leave. So if it's good enough for her, it's probably good enough for people too. Um, yeah, have fun. Um, it's almost the end of 2015, which I, I don't comprehend. Oh, also don't forget to change your clocks. Um, if you happen to be listening to this before November 1st, um, no, before November 2nd, I don't know. It's happening sometime this weekend. If you are listening to it, Halloween, um, the, the, uh, de los muertos. Yeah. Is that day? Yeah. Um, all saints day weekend, you know, whatever. Um, if you happen to be listening to this in spring of 2016, don't for, also don't forget to change your clocks. Um, I'm going to stop speaking now because it's just going to get worse and more rambly as I get, as the thing, as time runs on. Um, as that little bit was indicative. Um, yeah. So again, thank you. Um, I hope you enjoy this one. It's a little out of, out of whack with things, but, um, this is, this will be the last thing, um, which is interesting to me. And I don't, I don't really understand this. The fact that the first two episodes, episode one and the addendum, um, have so many more listens then the episode that I talked to Anthony and the episode that I talked to Tracy by like, like a, a like a hundred plays or so. Um, I, I don't, it'll be interesting to see how many people listen to this one. Um, cause if like, if you just want to hear me talk about stuff, um, let me know. And if you haven't listened to the other episode two or episode Three, go listen to it. They're good episodes. I they're like Anthony and Tracy are are they have a lot of good 
good insights and good things to say and things to talk about. Um, and I'm, I'm not just saying that because they're my friends. Um, I'm saying it more emphatically because they're my friends, but I would be saying it just like as maybe a little less emphatically. Um, if there were people that I didn't know, um, not with any sense of nepotism, but because like I've, I've known them for a while. The, the, the more that I hang out with them, the more emphatic I am about them as people. Um, so like I said, it's just going to get worse and more rambly as I, as this goes on. So I'm going to stop it now. Um, I don't know. That's it. I'll talk to y'all again in, uh, like 14 ish, 15 days. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, enjoy poetry, enjoy art, enjoy life, enjoy stuff in general. Just enjoy it. So <laughs> I totally forgot that I was going to read some poems. Um, I also was just listening to this episode and I say, um, a lot. I apologize. I'm working on it. I also, I feel so bad for the, the kind of long pauses between some of the things that I say. If this was not just a podcast and you could actually see me, I gesture and I make faces thinking faces. So it's not just long pauses. I'm actually doing something when they happen. And I feel like if you could see me, it wouldn't be as potentially awkward, but it's, it's radio kind of radio asterisks. Uh, um, yeah, I'm trying to be more cognizant of this. I'm going to blame it on the fact that it's, I recorded this at, I started it at, at uh, like 12 earlier than 12 so it's tiredness i'm blaming it on tiredness um anyway um yeah so i i totally forgot that i was going to read some of my poems and i just kind of wanted to stop rambling about things because i do that when i'm tired but i would like to share them um so i'm going to i have them up on my my drive that's where I kind of keep most things in in my life right now. So, uh, part of the, I don't know if it's a conceit or just a theme or some framework. I don't know what, probably maybe all, all three of them. Um, the first couple of poems that I wrote, uh, I wrote first thing in the morning. So, um, at Art Farm, work days are Monday through Thursday. I got there Thursday afternoon, so my first three days at Art Farm, I didn't have to do any work. I could, I just could kind of do whatever. So, uh, the first morning um, that I was there, I I woke up and I looked out of the window of the room that I was I was staying in, and wrote this poem, and decided to kind of use the the window as this this motif that I would frame that's how I would frame all of my poems as if I was looking out of a window I don't know if that's going to stay as the the 
how they're if, if that's going to be how they're all grouped together because right now they're all titled like window one through window i think 14 um, they will probably gain actual titles at some point in the future but like the the idea of the window or that that kind of framework was something that was that was important to me and it or at least gave me gave me a place to, to start with them um you know when you have a, when you have complete freedom sometimes it's very difficult to figure out where you need to go so it's it's worth kind of trying to find some sort of framework or some sort of groundwork that you can or foundation that you can work on so like i said so these are all windows um the first couple of them are actually written looking out of my window uh the last one was written looking out of a combination of windows that don't actually really appear in the poem um but at least for me, like going through directly influence them. So this is the first non-haiku poem that I wrote while I was out there. Uh, currently titled Window One, but that will most likely change. And it goes like this. How does the light make what it touches colder? First morning in Nebraska. A blue room with a bed and a desk and postcards tacked to the walls. Nebraska, stretching away from the window like a drying line. Nebraska, the light that summer forgot to take, yellow and green in the fields, old clothes on the floor of the room just off the stairs. How big the sky is here, how it holds all the clouds without complaining, that friendly reserve I hear is so prevalent in the middle states. Nebraska, my home for two weeks. A grasshopper tumbling into the knee-high grass. A red door swaying in the wind. That is the first poem. And this is the last poem. Sorry, just checking to make sure that my garage band is not freaking out as it usually wants to do when these episodes get super long. Okay, so this one is titled Window 14, which again, will probably change. Last morning in Nebraska, and the land has already forgotten what it told you. This is how the light makes what it touches colder. By leaving. By reminding you of the brother you haven't talked to in years. But you have other family now. A mom in Kansas City. A sister in London. Another down in Austin, though she's always on the road. You all share a native language. A cycle of opening and closing doors. Thank them. And linger in the gravel for a while. They won't be here next time. And neither will you. Somewhere in Nebraska, you ended. Somewhere, you will wake up early and not remember why. So, those are the poems. Um, they probably will be edited. They will probably change form a little bit. But um, I'm... Aside from maybe one of them, 
like one poem and one haiku. Um, I'm super, super happy and proud of all the things that I wrote while I was out there. Um, it was, it was nice to have space and nice to have experience, actual experiences to draw from. And to really kind of get in touch with my voice when it's not colored by any other, any other thing that I'm reading at the time or by the music that I was listening to, um, as the case sometimes is. So, uh, yeah, so this, this is the official end of episode four. Thank you again for listening. And, um, I'm sorry that this is almost two hours long. I will do my best to make them shorter unless you don't care. And you, if you're, if you're going to stick around and listen, I will take advantage of that. Believe me, <laughs> believe me. Uh, anybody who knows me in real life will know that I will take advantage of that. Um, yeah, so until next time, friends. <laughs>